0: everyone. Welcome to The Science of Beauty, a podcast from Allure. I'm Michelle Lee, the Editor-in-Chief. And I'm Jenny Bailly,
1: Executive Beauty Director. And on this podcast, we are going to be diving into the science behind beauty and the products that we are always talking about and testing here at Allure.
0: Today on the show, we're talking all about stress, how to manage it, and what it does to your body. And to start, we're joined by someone who's going to teach us something
2: really basic and really important how to breathe. My name is Dr. Belisa Vranich. I'm a clinical psychologist and founder of The Breathing Class.
1: Can you tell us a little bit more about how you became a breathing person? I know you said you're a clinical psychologist, but how did you go from that to really being all about the breath?
2: So I got sort of obsessed with it and really started studying and reading everything that I could. And what I found was there was a pretty strict division between sort of trance breath-led meditation to calm down or to get you to an altered state, or there was a very, very medical world where it was about emphysema and intubation and cough reflex and things like that that was really, really very set in hospitals, and that the in-between for us in the general pop um, we didn't have a measurement. We All we had was these caricatures of breathing and these, you know, wonderful messages on Pinterest to, you know, take a deep breath. But we really didn't have uh, a measurement and exercises to help us understand how breathing could, could affect us, not only our stress, but our physical selves, both of those, those things. So how do you measure it? Ah, so there is something called the breathing IQ, which looks at how much your chest wall opens up and then squeezes. Because most people think, when they think about breathing, they think about the last place their doctor, their pediatrician put the stethoscope. So think about this, whether it's you looking at your own child or the last time you were at a pediatrician's office, and they would put the stethoscope sort of up on your chest. And that started you thinking, well, my lungs must be there because the doctors putting the stethoscope up here and then saying, take a deep breath. Now, what they didn't tell us was that they were listening to our heart. They weren't actually listening to our lungs at that moment when they were sort of looking at our backs is when they were listening to our lungs. But we got the impression that the best part of our lungs was in the front top of our body. So we started looking at that and thinking, that must be the way you take a deep breath. So if you take your hands in the front of your body and you just see where your ribs are in the front of your body down there, and then you find that little ridge between your ribs and your belly, and you flatten your hands on that part of your body, that's where the best part of your lungs are. And by best, I mean the densest and most oxygen rich. So if somebody says, take a deep breath, this is where you should be breathing from.
0: And how does having a higher breathing IQ help you breathe in that way?
2: The breathing IQ looks at the flexibility of your thoracic cavity. It looks to see if you really are taking a deep breath. And the deep breath you want is one that's diaphragmatic. And diaphragmatic means that it's being driven, it's being pushed by your diaphragm. And your diaphragm is an enormous muscle. Think about a a personal-sized pizza or a Frisbee. Okay, that's all muscle. This is in the very middle of your body. It's a really intense, beautiful, fascinating muscle. And on the inhale, it tries to push your ribs open. And on the exhale, your body narrows, you're deflating. But most of us don't breathe that way. We've changed the way we breathe to use our neck and our shoulders, which is part of the reason a lot of us have neck and shoulder pain. But the Breathing IQ is a measurement that everyone can take. It's just a screening. Is that you take a measuring tape, you put it around the outside, right where you just found your ribs. You inhale, look at that number. You exhale, look at that number. You look at the style of your breathing. And then you can come up with a grade. And then you work to make that breath better.
1: Okay. And we can figure out that grade on your website for the breathing class, right? Now, if we could learn to breathe better, how could that impact our stress or the way we experience stress?
2: When you learn to breathe, you calm yourself down. So, and again, that means that your heart rate automatically comes down, your blood pressure comes down. You put yourself in that lovely parasympathetic state, which is rest and digest, right? That elusive place we're all trying to get to right now. So, just by taking the breath and making it diaphragmatic, your body is going to go there. So now all the positive thinking that you're trying to do to get yourself to calm down and all the wonderful aromatherapy and all this great stuff that I love will actually work much better.
0: Years ago, I had chronic hyperventilation And so I got dizzy. Like, I was having some major physical symptoms of this to the point of where my husband sent me to a neurologist because he thought it was in my – like, I was having an issue with my brain. And so I was describing what was happening to this neurologist, and he didn't do any tests on me because he was like, you just need to breathe you're suffering from chronic hyperventilation. And he explained some of it to me. And the more I I looked into it and stuff, I was like, oh my God, it is completely what's happening to me. Yes.
2: Well, you got someone who is obviously well-informed because what happens to most people or or unfortunately a lot of people is they get someone who will then put them through a tremendous unnecessary battery of tests. And obviously some tests are necessary in order to rule out something uh, more dangerous. However... There isn't enough knowledge um, or there isn't enough recognition of chronic hyperventilation as something that can really, really affect how you feel and you have physical symptoms and they're chronic and they're acute and they really make a difference of of how you experience life and your productivity and how you relate to people. And the solution is to change your breathing to a breath that's calmer. So you were stuck in that loop. And thankfully, you found someone who was able to recognize that. Now, when you take the breath and you move it to where it should be, your digestion gets better, your immune system gets better, your cortisol lowers. So all kinds of lovely things and your blood pressure as well comes down. Okay, I'm convinced. Can you teach us? So the beginner breath that we're going to learn is a belly breath. So I want you to take your hands and put them on your belly as if you were wearing a hoodie that has pockets in the front, okay? Now on the inhale, I want you to tip your hips and push your belly into your hands.
0: Okay, everyone listening, I hope you're doing this too.
2: Okay, inhale, press it into your hands. And then on the exhale, I want you to squeeze your abs like you're doing a crunch. Take your fingers and help your body narrow. And come away from the back of the chair so that you can get a little bit of rocking and rolling. So on the inhale is where I want you to roll forwards. Let your belly go. Exhale, roll back. Squeeze your abs, even your butt a little bit. Let it go underneath you. Squeeze. Then inhale, roll forward, push your belly into your hands and then exhale, roll back, squeeze your abs with your fingers. Think about your belly button getting closer to your spine. Big inhale, roll forwards. See if you can expand a little bit more. And again, yes, this feels super silly, but it's just the beginning breath and your core is going to get stronger. Exhale, roll back. So keep moving like this. And I want you to notice how the breath goes along with your hip movement. So what we're doing right now is that we're trying to change from your shoulders going up and down to your hips rolling forwards and back. So if this is really hard for you, if it feels completely unnatural, I want you to breathe through your mouth because I want you to hear the breath.
0: Okay, that was very relaxing. I feel like I do at the end of a really good yoga class. Same. I am so much more relaxed right now. All right, before we get too relaxed, can you take us into the next exercise? I know we're doing something called the balloon exercise, right? I've got my balloon. What are we doing?
2: Ah, the balloon exercise. Okay, so the balloon exercise comes from us needing to have strong exhales. So, If you have this rock and roll down perfectly, and I mean really that you know which direction you're going, it makes sense, is that you want to add the balloon to your exhale. And again, you should only do this if you have an A on your breathing IQ and if this back and forth feels really natural. And what you would do is that you would inhale through your nose and then exhale into the balloon. So take the balloon. You can put it in your mouth and hold it with your hand. Okay. And keep it there. So inhale, tip forwards, breathe in through your nose, fill your belly. Inhale, big belly breath. Exhale, lean back. Do a crunch squeeze with your abs. Blow up the balloon. Oh, no. Ah. <laughs> okay. So that's an advanced one. Um But if you do the rock and roll for a little while, and actually, if you have a new balloon, give yourself a break because they're actually kind of tough in the beginning. So you might want to stretch it out a little bit. Once you have, get someone else to blow up that balloon and then try. So once you get that to be a little bit softer, it will be, and use your abs. So abs are going to help blow that balloon up. Inhale, relax your body. Oh, and exhale my balloon, I swear. <laughs> so that's what you're going to use the balloon for. But again, get an A on your breathing IQ, make sure your rock and roll feels really good, then add the balloon to it, and once you get the balloon, they're definitely a little addictive and you can do a lot of them.
0: Wow,
1: I'm going to think a lot more about how I breathe now. Totally. I thought breathing in and out was one thing I actually had a pretty good handle on, but I guess I need some help there. I really felt my brain and my body calming down as we did those exercises. Melissa, thank you so much for joining us and walking us through that.
2: Excellent. Thank you for having me. This was fun.
0: Okay. Well, after the break, we've got an expert who's going to break stress down for us and give us some tools to deal with it. So take a few nice deep breaths and we'll see you in a minute. All right we're back and we're here with dr amy wexler
1: yes dr wexler who is one of the very very few human beings in america who is board certified in both dermatology and psychiatry and she is here today to talk to us about stress thank you so much for being here dr wexler
3: of course thanks for
0: having me so it's been a stressful time I think that this past year, of course, with everything going on um, with the pandemic, with politics, with everything, um, I think we're all feeling very stressed and we've been talking about stress quite a bit. Can we just, I guess, take it to a super basic level and talk about what is stress and how can we tell that we're stressed?
3: So stress for a few seconds is not bad. Even for a few minutes, it's okay. It motivates people There's the classic fight or flight response, right? That we talk about getting away from danger in the Savannah and your heart rate goes up and cortisol, that's a molecule I talk about a lot, gets pumped out. But cortisol is fine for a few seconds, even minutes, because it helps us survive. But when we're chronically stressed, hours, days, weeks, months, even years, cortisol does so many bad things. And stress is defined differently by everybody um it's anxiety it's sadness it's depression it's worry and fear
1: can you walk us through exactly what's happening in the brain when you know like you mentioned the tiger sure. is on the savanna or you know today the the car pulls out right in front of you what's going on with your adrenaline
3: it makes you more alert it it revs your heart rate up, heart rate up to get more blood to what's needed so it's usually your brain to think quickly And depending on what you're doing, if you're running, it's your legs. If you're driving, it's your hands, right? To be hyper-focused and get you out of danger. So you swerve out of the way, you feel like your heart's racing, you're breathing faster, you pull over and you really need to take deep breaths because you are out of breath. And then during the recovery period, you actually get really tired. I don't know if either of you have noticed, do you remember taking your kids for their first vaccines and... The baby's having like a normal day and they get their vaccine. They cry, they scream, and then they're conked out. They take like a three hour nap. <laughs> yes. Do you guys remember? Yeah, that?
1: yeah. <laughs> right. You're amped up. You've got the adrenaline flowing. And then does that adrenaline turn into cortisol?
3: Adrenaline is a totally, totally separate, separate.
1: But when we're chronically stressed, the cortisol just kind of sticks around.
3: Yes. It causes inflammation. Inflammation is not just a buzzword. It's really the cause of so many illnesses and diseases heart disease, strokes, we used to think that it was, you know, you have a artery, a coronary artery, and it gets clogged with cholesterol and plaque. And when it gets too clogged, then you have a heart attack. No, you can actually have an artery clogged for years. And until that clog is inflamed, it's fine. And then one day, boom, you have a heart attack. So inflammation. So inflammation in the skin, which cortisol causes, causes a lot of bad things. Number one, it causes things like acne, which... Most people know, you know, when they're stressed, they break out more if they tend to break out. They that was figured out years ago on college campuses. People are actually recruited to do pimple counts. And students on college campuses during exams had much higher pimple counts than during the rest of the semester.
1: That's quite a job. Right?
3: <laughs> but they got paid. So <laughs> students will do almost anything for a few bucks. I remember that. <laughs> and so if someone's prone to eczema, rashes like eczema, psoriasis. Um, things like that, that can get worse. Then cortisol breaks down collagen. That's bad because you need collagen to keep the skin nice and plump. So wrinkles are a real sequelae of chronic cortisol being pumped around. So people really have that like, oh my God, I aged overnight moment. And it's real. Good news is you get a good night's sleep, the stress goes away, you look younger again.
1: Right. And then what about hair? How can stress affect your hair?
3: In terms of hair loss, so there's a a stress-induced hair loss called telogen effluvium. So that's when normally we lose about 80 to 100 hairs a day. So hair has three growth phases. Anagen, which is the growth phase, which is the longest, can range for hair in your head. Then there's catagen, which is a very short resting phase or transition phase. And then telogen, which is when the hair sheds. And that's a pretty short phase. And then, you know, the growth cycle starts again. So 80 to hundred hairs go into telogen every day. But when you have what's called a telogen effluvium, many more hairs are transitioned into telogen. All of a sudden, all this hair is being shed and people really freak out. And it's been well-documented from stress, but it could be physical stress or mental stress or both. It's classically described after childbirth. The good news is it's temporary. It usually lasts about six months and it could be less or more, but on average six months and then the hair grows back. But um, the other thing about hair is that there's a delay. So someone comes in and I think they're having a telogen effluvium. I don't ask them what's been going on in their lives in the last couple of weeks. I ask them what happened in the last three to six months. And I remember very, because that's how long it takes for the hairs to shift more into telogen and then fall out. And so that's why sometimes people don't put two and two together because it's not the most recent stressor, Wow,
1: so that does make diagnosis tricky.
0: And what about other skin conditions? Um, I'm assuming it's the same thing that like it's stress and then cortisol is leading to inflammation when it comes to things like psoriasis, eczema. um, I had a little bout of like rosacea yes. at some point, so I've been reading like a ton of about just different skin conditions. Is it sort of the same process?
3: It is cortisol does a couple th- other things to the skin. So it causes inflammation in the hair follicles if you're prone to acne and more sebum is produced and more bacteria that probably has something to do with acne, P acnes is produced. In terms of the surface of the skin, it makes the epidermis a little bit leakier. It's called transepidermal water loss, T-E-W-L. So um, since the skin's barrier function doesn't work as well, it lets in potential irritants that normally you'd be protected from. So someone will come in and say, like, I've used the same cream for 10 years. I checked. They haven't changed the ingredients, but now I'm getting a rash from it. Like, what's going on? And inevitably, it's, they're going through a stressful period, and their skin's barrier isn't working as well. So that's, that's when I talk about being, like, temporarily sensitive, having temporary, temporarily sensitive skin. Rosacea flares up. Acne flares up. Eczema, psoriasis. There's other, so many different skin rashes that people can get when they're stressed. Does everyone have
0: like a tipping point? So for example, we all experience stress every day, but we might not experience that level of like inflammation to the point of where like my rosacea flares up or something. Like does
3: everyone, is it like one specific point at which we're trying to stay under? I think it's different for everyone, but I also think it changes for each individual during their lifetime. So it's hard to know, but I think being mindful, I've often spoke about that just really being introspective and thinking about yourself and what you can handle or not. But, you know, when someone's 20, they can often handle a lot more than when they're 40 or 50. Not always, but I, the skin is constantly being damaged and repaired all day long. We damage our cells, we repair them, damage, repair. Babies are incredible at repairing. As we get older, not so much. Also, it matters, like, how many stressors are going on at once and what that person's support system is like. So, I think you can take a lot if you're talking to people you feel you don't feel isolated, you don't feel lonely, which is part of the whole pandemic problem is loneliness is so much higher now worse
1: so much worse, and the stress loneliness connection really comes down to oxytocin, right exactly, yeah, and can you talk about how sleep is important
3: for stress and managing stress as well so more repairing is done in sleep. Cortisol is at its absolute lowest during the whole day during sleep. And molecules like oxytocin, growth hormones, which heal the skin are anti-inflammatory are at their highest. So that's why sleep is so important. But you're right. But there's things that people try to do to cope with stress that are not healthy. Right. You know, I've read
1: some things about stress that, you know, part of it is yes, the quantity of stress, but part of it is also the way you I mean, kind of like you were saying before, how you deal with it and the way you choose to think about it and to deal with it. So what can we do to deal with it better?
3: So there's so many simple things to do that aren't expensive and you can do on your own. Number one is to get outside. So I remember at the beginning of quarantine, I talked to a bunch of patients. I had some patients who did not go outside for six weeks. They had everything delivered that they needed. And I thought that was so unhealthy, like the lack of, of getting fresh air. So I think just try to get outside every day, socially distance and be safe about it, of course, but that's always possible. Exercise is amazing. Whatever I kind of exercise someone likes, there isn't one specific kind. It's literally any kind walking, running, cycling, yoga, Pilates, stretching, literally dancing, anything. Connecting with girlfriends. See, that's a really important thing that, people, that we're doing less of. And I usually say in person because it's so much better than on the phone, on a text. It's better to see the person's face. So FaceTiming, Zooming, all that is better. But I'm trying to take socially distanced walks with friends or with a friend like once a week. I don't always succeed, but I'm trying. And, and I always feel so much better. And I think, why am I doing this more?
1: I feel like the socially distanced walk, that's a great idea because you're getting that exercise to help with the stress and the, the you know, the, the bonding, the social bonding. Yeah, I need to do more
0: of that
3: sex is really good at lowering stress. It helps you sleep better. And that can be with a partner or that can be on your own, right? Because having an orgasm causes oxytocin levels to go sky high and beta endorphins and growth hormone. And so that's really good. Great. Well, doctor's orders. (laughs) And then laughing. So whenever I, I talk about sleep a lot with patients and try to figure out why they're not falling asleep. And it's usually they're watching some kind of stressful TV or reading the news on their phone in the hour before bed, which like, how can you turn your brain off, right? If you're stressed. So it's something funny to watch a comedy on TV, to read a book. For me, I like to watch sports. That really relaxes me.
1: It just seems like humans weren't made to take on this much. We get so much information all the time. Like, it's not just worrying about yourself. It's like you are so aware of all of the problems of the world, constantly. And sometimes you just need to turn it off. Like those animals on the savanna probably weren't worried about what was happening in a different part of the savanna or, you know, on the other side of the world or what was going to happen tomorrow.
0: Right. We're hyper-connected, always on and flooded with all this stressful information that we
3: really have no control over. So giving a little bit of control to yourself during the day, I think really helps. I mean, even in something that sounds as simple as a skincare routine. Like if you do the same thing every day, routines are important. could be anything, but during periods of stress, like everyone's routines go out the window. So if you forget to wash your face and you leave your makeup on, like that's not great. You know, keeping up a routine is important.
0: Are there things that we can do nutritionally that can help counteract the effects of stress?
3: People who are, whose skin is stressed, often their skin is sensitive. So I think less is more when your skin is stressed. Like no fragrance, very calming ingredients, good moisturizer ingredients like glycerin, shea butter, hyaluronic acid, and fewer things that are irritating, fewer acids, that kind of thing.
0: Are there other things when it comes to stress um, nutritionally or I guess like caffeine and things? like? Are there things that we should be avoiding or or consuming more of?
3: For the skin, it's hard because everything we eat Has to go through the digestive tract first, pass through the liver, through all the other through the circulation to the other organs, and then there's not much left for the skin. So that's why I I I mostly focus on what you put on your skin, what you do to the surface. But I think what we eat certainly can affect our mood and our brain and all of that. But it's a little bit of trial and error because it's not there's not one blanket statement for everybody. Same with um, like aromatherapy or fragrances. A lot of people think it feel like if they smell some lavender before bed it helps their brain kind of relax and go to sleep and for me it's agitating really (laughs) yeah i really don't like lavender it makes me like irritable oh so i like jasmine like i so i figure out what i like and what kind of soothes me but it's definitely not lavender and what about alcohol Alcohol before bed usually keeps most people up.
0: Yeah. yeah. I can't help it. I like my glass of wine at night though.
3: <laughs> but if you're sleeping fine, then you're then it's fine for you.
0: Well, maybe I'm just exhaust I'm exhausted from the baby, I guess. Of speaking of exhausted, have we exhausted everything bad, I guess, that stress does to our bodies? We've talked about skin, hair, are there I mean
3: disease, obviously. Well what about mood? Mood, yes. It really makes people irritable and they can't tolerate more stress well. So if you're irritable, easily upset. Easily bothered, and you're not handling your daily activities, that's really bad, right? You know, can cause anxiety, depression. I think anxiety and depression right now are, are so high. I remember a story we ran
1: in Allure about stress it was a few years back, and it talked about a study that looked at the cells of women who were under stress and found that it actually makes your DNA, your telomeres, look
3: older. Can you explain to us, Dr. Wexler, what telomeres are? Telomere is the end of your DNA. Okay. And it just happens to be a marker for aging. They get shorter as we get older. And the first study I saw in it was on women who were caretakers, and it was really stressful. And the, And the researchers thought, let me just check their telomere lengths and see if that's being affected, because that would be down to the cellular level. And they were much shorter. So that started that whole research. So everyone's always looking at telomeres now.
0: So I think you, I mean, you, you touched on this a little bit in the beginning, but, sure. you know, we've all had this very incredibly stressful year. And if we start now to, to like reverse some of this, are we also reversing... Most of the negative effects, like, and how how quickly does that happen? Right, if we've just spent a whole year being super stressed out, can we reverse this quickly? Like, does everything go back to normal? Like our telomeres and like everything else, can we start to reverse that in like the coming months?
3: Yes, I think we can. I don't think it's going to be days, but I think weeks slash months for sure. And that's been documented when someone's dealing with the death of someone close to them, and. Usually, a year is looked at the first year, and you can't speed up time. And so, that first year is the worst. It doesn't, it's not amazing starting, you know, day two on the second year. But um, all those stress effects do reverse when the person has a healthy grieving process and, you know, doesn't have a complicated bereavement, which is a separate thing, but starts to move on with their lives. Everything gets better their health, their blood pressure goes down, their cholesterol goes down, you know, their skin looks healthier, they're sleeping better, all that stuff. So yes, so there, there's so, there's always hope, like never give up hope. I, I wrote a book a bunch of years ago called The Mind Beauty Connection and it's about stress aging and reversing it. And what is it about going away for a week on vacation and you come home and people just, if they didn't know you're away, they just say, like, wow, you look great. Like, what did you do? And what is it about a week's vacation? And God, when's the last time you had a week's vacation? (laughs) I haven't taken any vacations since quarantine. So that's part of it too. But yes, we'll get out of this and we'll recover. Yes.
1: From your lips to the universe's ears, Dr. Wexler. So if you know you're going into a stressful period, like let's just say you had a crystal ball last February, is there anything you could do ahead of time to stave off at least the negative beauty
3: side effects of stress? Well, if you know what stress does to your skin, if you tend to break out um or let's say you tend to get more irritated, your skin is more sensitive. Okay, well then you stop using your toner and your retinol or topical mm-hmm. retinoid that week. It's okay. Moisturize an extra time. Add a serum, you know, add more moisture to your skin. Yeah. I think it's it's a whole learning curve, right? You have to right. learn over time how your skin reacts.
0: And I guess with your hair though, there's less of a
3: I feel like there's less you yeah. can do. And
0: especially because of that time difference too, of like the many months. Yeah. The
3: 3 month delay. Right. Yes. But also knowing it'll grow back because so many people are scared that it won't that they're going bald. Telogen effluvium, you never lose all of your hair ever. So, I don't know if that if it helps just hearing that, but that's true. So, if you've been through it once before, like it's your second pregnancy, you can remind yourself, oh, right, I hated this in my first pregnancy and I freaked out, but then all my hair grew back. Okay. And you can reassure yourself.
0: What's your take on supplements? Um, Because I think that when it comes to, let's say inflammation, like there's been a lot of talk about certain supplements. Um, There are definitely the ones that talk about like helping with stress, although who knows um, what works and what doesn't. But like, what's your take overall on supplements?
3: I'm very data-driven. So if there isn't a good placebo-controlled study, I'm probably not going to jump on the bandwagon, but, and I think a lot of supplements, you know, the marketing's great and the company's making a lot of money, but is the person being helped? I don't know. There's a, for hair, for example, there's so many hair supplements on the market, yeah. but where's the data to show that they work and they're yeah. really expensive. So not a huge fan. Do you personally take any supplements? I take vitamin D3. I don't, I don't, cons- I guess it's supplements it's a vitamin, um, because I'm not going to have, I'm not going to go out there and sunbathe without sunscreen on. I think there are some people who don't eat enough protein. And so the body needs protein. Hair is made of protein, right? We need a certain amount of protein a day. So if someone's not eating enough, then they might need it in a supplement. Okay. Or if they're working out a lot and trying to build muscle, extra protein, fine. But to try to plump up the skin, I don't think it works. Yeah. Unfortunately.
0: okay. All right, Dr. Wexler, we have some audience questions for you.
1: Hi, Allure. My name is Matt. I live in Cleveland, Ohio, and I have a question about stress-related eczema. Like everybody else, the COVID-19 pandemic has put a strain on my mental health, but I also suffer from stress-induced eczema, which has spread like the Roman Empire across my body. It's become its own self-sustaining source of stress. The bigger it gets, the more stressed out I get. How can I help get rid of it once and for all?
3: Stress-related eczema flare-ups are usually caused because your skin is more sensitive than normal, leaking a little bit of water. So think about dry skincare. First, showers and baths. A shower should be short 10 minutes and don't sit in a bath, unless you wanna take a bath and pour a quart of whole milk into it, which I know sounds goofy, but milk has a lot of anti-inflammatory molecules and so whole milk is a great thing to kind of soak in. And you can also use whole milk compresses on straight on your eczema for 10 minutes twice a day. It's really helpful. After your bath or shower, you have to moisturize your whole body. And that moisturizer, if your eczema is really flaring up, I think should be fragrance-free. And there's a lot of them on the market. They're inexpensive. Or you can try an oil. You might think this is silly too, but safflower oil, The the skin makes a natural oil called linoleic acid. And when... Eczema is flaring up. There's less of it, and so to replace it, safflower oil, which is odorless. So you can buy some safflower oil, put it in a little, you know, more cosmetically elegant kind of bottle for your bathroom, and after a shower, rub rub some in as your body moisturizer. Don't put it on your face because it could clog your pores. But that's a that's a good one too. Humidifiers in the fall and winter, if you live somewhere cold, will put some more moisture back into the air. If you're scratching a lot, you have to break that itch scratch itch scratch cycle. So often an oral antihistamine like Zyrtec is really helpful. Um, Zyrtec at night because it can make you sleepy, Claritin or Allegra during the day. And if your eczema is really bad, you probably need a topical steroid for a short period of time, which you can get from a dermatologist if you could see one, or if not, sometimes an internist will write one for you.
0: Hi, my name is Tara and I'm from Vermont. Um, I have a question about my dandruff. So I've noticed that it seems to get worse when I'm stressed, you know, like I am all the time these days. Um, so I'm wondering A, is that possible? And B, if it is, what can I do about it? Especially looking for solutions that have nothing to do with just stop being so stressed. Thanks so much.
3: So whenever someone says, I think so, you know, something's getting worse when I'm stressed, is it possible? I always say yes because Almost everything can be made worse during stress. And don't second guess yourself. If you know when you're stressed, your dandruff gets worse, it does. So dandruff is caused by something called seborrheic dermatitis, which is a little overgrowth of a yeast on the skin, which which causes some inflammation. So you can try dandruff shampoos. There are so many over-the-counter ones that are great. Make sure you let it sit on your scalp, though. A lot of people, they just put it on, suds it up, and rinse it off. But it really needs to sit on your scalp for about five minutes like three times a week is good, try not to scratch. So if you find your hands on your head a lot scratching, that'll make it worse. So find something else to do with your hands, a fidget ball, um, a rubber band that you play with on your wrist, sit on your hands, just be mindful of it. And if it's really itchy though, you might need an oral antihistamine like Zyrtec, Claritin, or Allegra. That should help a lot.
0: All right. Amazing. I feel like I've learned so much. You are an absolute wealth of information. Um, Thank you so
3: much. Thanks for having me, Michelle and Jenny. Thank you for being here.
1: Amy, when is your podcast launching?
3: Oh, thank you. We launched it um, five weeks ago. Oh, it's It's launched. Okay. It is. It's called Am I Embarrassing You? And it's on every podcast platform. It's a mother-daughter podcast and we talk about difficult to talk about subjects.
0: Wait, I love that. I love it. Amazing. Well, we're definitely all going to check it out. And tonight I am committed to I'm going to try meditating again. Okay, Jenny, before we go, we've got a bit of a different challenge for today's recommendations. What do you do to deal with stress?
1: Um, Let's see. I scream into the void. That, that, that helps, uh, rocking back and forth in a fetal ball. Um, but I do, I try to get outside whenever I can. I think it's very easy to be just stuck in your office behind your screen and the stress levels kind of escalate. Um, so I try to get outside. I just got actually one of those lamps, um, those LED light devices, devices that some people sometimes call them the happy lamps that kind of help keep your mood up during those dark winter months. Because certainly when you're in a better mood, it's easier to handle stress. So I just ordered one. It's on the way. So I will keep you posted on that. But I'm I'm hoping that helps through the, the long winter.
0: Love that. Um, I also do love to get outside when I can. I just feel like the change of scenery and getting some fresh air is incredibly helpful to me. I also like to, when I can, get some exercise, even if it's just a walk. um, It's definitely very helpful to me if I can break a sweat, but if I can't, just even walking and like moving my body definitely helps. I also, I think that a lot of CBD is snake oil. But I have actually found um, there's one brand that I use, a CBD. And so in the past, when I've had stress that was kind of verging more towards anxiety, I found it to be really helpful to me. But yeah, I think because I also Which one is that, it? What's the brand? So I know, was, I was like, should I give them a shout out? I guess I will. Um, so the one that I really love is called Green Earth Medicinals. And I've tried so many others and they don't work for me. But this one, if you get your dosage right, it just kind of takes the edge off. Um, and so I don't take it all the time. I took it, I started taking it maybe like a year and a half or two ago. And so I was kind of going through this time period of where I was like in my chronic hyperventilation again, where I was like, okay, I'm not breathing properly. Um, And it really, it did help me kind of get through like a couple weeks of of feeling stressed out. But again, because I went through this chronic hyperventilation thing, I also am like hyper aware of my breathing, that if I get stuck in this like bad breathing pattern, it just makes you feel so much more anxious. So if I am feeling stressed out, I'll sit back from my computer a little bit and make sure that I am like breathing a little bit more from my belly and not just breathing from my upper chest, which is definitely really helpful.
1: I know. Sometimes when you're really stressed, you stop for a minute and you realize you've just been holding your breath. I definitely yeah, do Yeah, it's that. Not good, but it's hard because there's the things you know. Like I know that I feel so much better when I exercise. I don't exercise. Like I just I I know it, but it's it's hard to just get out I there know. and do well, it. Well,
0: everyone always says also don't don't de stress by having a glass of wine. But I'm like I don't know. I like my glass of wine. Me too.
1: <laughs> I saw a sign once. I was in Austin, Texas, a
0: few years ago. And it said, technically, alcohol is a solution. Oh, you know what else I've been doing, too? I've, I've never been a bath person ever, ever in my life. I always was like, oh, I'm just not into baths. I started taking baths, and I've been doing, like, a nice, warm bubble bath, and it's just – it's my chance for, like, fifteen or twenty minutes to do nothing at all. And I think, you know, that in itself is just super valuable. The fact that you just let your brain go, you're just relaxing in like a warm tub. so I, I found that to be really helpful, too.
1: I know without your phone, anything you anything you're doing without your phone, I think, does a lot to reduce stress.
0: I mean, it's easier said
1: than done, but we can do our best. And in the meantime, we can at least get control over the skin and hair fallout. Get it? Fallout? Caused by
0: stress. Definitely. All right, that's it for this episode of The Science of Beauty. Tune in next week when we'll be covering the delicate, beautiful world of curls. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to rate and leave us a review and subscribe to the podcast. It helps new listeners find the show. You can find additional information and episode references in the show notes. Follow Allure on Instagram at Allure and I'm at Lee, and Jenny is at J e, Bailly. On our audio team, our lead producer is Carla Green, executive producer is Shara Morris, associate producer is Kate Mishkin, and sound engineer is Scott Somerville. On the Allure team, the editorial leads are Soyini Driscoll and Diana Mazzone. Lead researcher is Julie Recivudo, and project manager is Monica Perry. The theme music is by Asha Ivanovich. Special thanks to Julie Shen and Neon Hum.